sorry, my um computer's going dead. So oh, no. I'm looking at it right now. So I realize I've been talking and I know where near my mic. <laughs> Grace. It'll be like I'm doing that from another Yeah, keep talking. I'm just gonna put the tea on or whatever. <laughs> Welcome to Fauna Facts, the podcast where we talk about the weird and wonderful world of animals. Hopefully they're facts didn't already know, and it will be fun and funny. I'm Grace. <laughs> and I'm Mads. <laughs> you like that intro? I always do. <laughs> so today, I'm not sure you will be as excited, because I got really excited diving into this topic and there's a point where you wonder if it's like just this niche thing because everyone in my lab loves this kind of stuff (laughs) today i wanted to talk about depth perception oh ooh, okay well good that's good um (laughs) uh so yeah i wanted to talk about depth perception and it started because there was a recent study out on cuttlefish and in the articles I was reading there were pictures of cuttlefish wearing 3D glasses which is yeah that's catnip for me if you put (laughs) (laughs) you put glasses on animals Uh, especially 3D glasses get out of here yeah it's very it's very uh, I don't know if cute's the right word but it's very fun um And apparently, they didn't mind it too much. (laughs) And they did have to glue it to their heads, but the glue fell off after a couple days. I think there's, like, some laws now around experimenting on cephalopods, like octopus and squid and cuttlefish. But I'm not sure if that went through. But anyway. So, before we get to the cuttlefish, let's talk about what people are most familiar with, what I was most familiar with what most humans are familiar with is our own vision, right? (laughs) So we have depth perception. And um, one of the main ways we have depth perception is through stereoscopic vision. So that means we use two eyes to figure out how far away something is. And you don't need two eyes to have depth perception. I was going to talk about monoscopic vision next time because I think this might take the whole time Mm -hmm. but there's yeah you don't have to have two eyes to have depth perception but we have depth perception mainly because we have two eyes that focus in on one thing so we have one eye that gets an image another eye that gets an image and then our brain puts them together and that gives us a 3d view of the world so we do that by brightness so that your brain matches the brightness of one image from one eye and the other image from the other eye and it matches them up so if you had a black background with a red dot and a black background with a blue dot and one eye was seeing one and one eye was seeing the other so if you had 3d glasses on that's what you're seeing And then your brain would be like, okay, the dot is what matches up, even though they're different 
colors, they're the same brightness. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how 3D movies work. But if we had, say, like, a black background with a white dot and a white background with a black dot and one eye was seeing one image and one eye was seeing the other image, our brain would freak out. <laughs> and it was like, uh, I don't know what's going on. Does that make sense? Because they're not the same brightness? Yes, because you have different... You have where there should be a white dot in both. You have a white and a black dot. And your brain doesn't know what to do with that. It has to match up the the brightest things together and the darkest things together. Well, okay. Can you apply this with like the red and the blue? So is it is it the fact that the backgrounds are different colors? It has to be. Well, oh, okay. So brightness is like if you have a scale of white to black. Uh-huh. That's how bright something is. Then blue and red are different hues. So you can have different hues, but they have to be the same brightness. Okay. So it wouldn't matter like say it's a white dot on a red background and a black dot on a red background, your brain would still be like, I can't. Yeah, exactly. Because that white and that black are different brightnesses. Okay. Yeah, brightness, brightnesses, yes. Um, (laughs) They're different brightness. They have a different brightness. Yeah, exactly. So that's how our vision works. It's not something we really think about because we don't have to. It just happens. (laughs) Wait, sorry. Uh, I have another question. Yes. So why does your brain matching up the blue and the red make it look 3d because okay if you had pretend you're watching just a 2d i'll just use 2d and 3d movies as an example okay you're watching a 2d 2d movie movie your eyes are both getting the same image so you have a 3d view of the world and then you're like okay but yeah but this picture is 2d right Mm mm-hmm but then when you put on 3D glasses, one eye is getting – they used to – I'll do the old version, but one eye is getting only blue light and one eye is only getting red light. So then they're seeing different things. So then it kind of tricks your brain. It's like, oh, these are different, just like, you know, the 3D world that you're always in. So it's like, mm. okay, must be 3D. But it – yeah, but some people it doesn't work, right? Some people get horrible headaches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they, oh, and I guess when they film it, when they film it, they film it with two different lenses that are really close together, like human eyes. Hmm. So, that, sorry, that's the only, the other part. So, one eye is only getting the image from that cam from the left camera, and one eye is only getting the image from the right camera. I that's see. the miss yeah that's the missing part of the puzzle that I didn't mention before. So then your brain is like, "Oh, it's like real world. It's 3D." Does that make got sense? It. Yes, yes. I think so. I really stumbled through that explanation, no, no, but no, no, I got no, no, it no. in the end. <laughs> yes, so that's how our eyes work. Does that make sense how our our eyes work? I think so. Okay. So before we get to cuttlefish, we're going to go make a wide left turn. Um <laughs> We know that other animals, it took us a while to figure out that other animals have this too, 
like to actually say science had to tell that science knew the other animals. So it was only until the 1970s that we knew that macaques had this. Um, but barnals have it, chameleons have it, cats have it, other gray apes have it, and monkeys. Um, but praying mantises also have it. Hmm. Yeah, and they, I think 2018, they put little 3D glasses on praying mantises. Oh my god. Yeah, so each eye was getting a different image. Because they put, like, a red image and then a blue image and then saw where the animal actually would, like, if they had a fake fly on the screen, where the praying mantis would actually strike. Hmm. And when they'd be accurate. So what they found is praying mantises don't use brightness. They don't care about brightness at all. Hmm. You can give them a white dot on a black background and a black dot on a white background to two different eyes, and they will still strike the dot if that's what they want to strike at, mm-hmm. which is weird. They found out that it's actually what's changing. They match up what's changing. So pretend these dots are jiggling. Mm. They match up where those dots are jiggling. Hmm. And that's how they figure out, have their 3D view of the world. And the dots don't even have to be jiggling in the same way. They can be, like, one can be moving downwards and one can be moving upwards. And as long as they're moving in the same place within each eye's um, field of view, then they match it up in their brain and say, oh, that's how they match up their images. So then they'll strike it like it's a fly or something. It made so much sense when you see it. The example is like one image, they had like a scene of a farmhouse. Um, And one image, they had like an underwater scene. And in each one, there's a little spotlight that's moving. And every time, every place that the spotlight shone over, the image shifted a little bit. But the praying mantis would superimpose where the spotlight was because it was where the image was changing Mm. and that's how they match up the image does that make sense i think so it's it's really weird so if something is completely still yeah and the light's not changing they'd have a hard time (laughs) okay yeah And if you think about what praying mantises need depth perception for, it's to catch flies and other insects that are moving very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So for their lifestyle, it works very well. So the last one is the cuttlefish. And it turns out cuttlefish do neither of these. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping that's what you were going to say. They don't match up brightness. Brightness doesn't matter. You can change the brightness, so have the black dot on the white background or the white dot on the black background. They can still make accurate strikes for a, if you put a shrimp on a screen, like project mm-hmm. a shrimp on the screen because that's what they're interested in. Um, they will strike at the shrimp and get it right, even if it's a shrimp with different brightness they'll still match those images of the shrimp up but 
if you give them those images that are just have movement in the same place, they can't do it just from that. Mm -hmm. So it's something in between human vision and praying mantis vision. And so the researchers were like, well, why is this? And of course, I mean, this this study just came out this year. Mm -hmm. So they think that praying mantises, if they miss their shot, they're going to go hungry. So they need to have something that works right away. But cuttlefish, if they miss a fish or a shrimp, they can swim after it. Hmm. Which praying mantis can't. They can't just fly after something. So maybe that's why they have something that's in between. What they're basing it on, I don't think the paper said. They just said, well, this is weird (laughs) and interesting. (laughs) But it's still very exciting. And they just, I mean, cuttlefish are weird because their eyes do move in different directions. They're not yoked um, like ours. Yoked as in Y-O-K-E-D, like a, an ox. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they only seem to point and like focus on one thing when they're about to eat something or strike at something. So it seems like they're only using stereoscopic vision at that point, which is weird. Obviously a lot going on that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I have. The question. Yes. Did they put glasses on the cuttlefish? Yes, they did. Oh my gosh. I know. It's so cute. We'll put oh, images I can't wait there. for these photos. <laughs> There's going to be lots of pictures. Definitely praying mantis with 3D glasses. Oh my gosh. And definitely cuttlefish with 3D glasses. That's too much. I don't know if there's any other animals that they did this with. Maybe. Maybe there might be some barn owl pictures or chameleon pictures with 3D glasses. But I'm not sure. (laughs) I'll try to dig up some. That's great. That's really great. Yeah, so this, like, this was a lot of... I had to watch a lot of videos. And (laughs) (laughs) so it's maybe not the best thing to um, describe without pictures especially it's hard to describe vision without pictures right but Mm -hmm. doing my best hopefully it makes some sense yeah i think so yeah i just i don't know i that's the stuff that gets me really excited about how different animals perceive the world in different ways yeah for sure i have a completely random question that i have no idea if you'll actually be able to answer but i was just thinking about how So you know how as humans, when we see something, we actually see it upside down and then our brain corrects it and flips it? Yes. Do you know, is that a common thing, an uncommon thing? Is that, like, do most animals see things upside down? I feel like I should know this, (laughs) (laughs) but I do not know this. I could look it up quick, but I don't know the answer off the top of my head. If you want to. Mm. Let's see. Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So if it has a single lens like our eyes, yes. But if it has a compound eye like an insect, then no. Hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I don't know exactly why. Off the didn't help really that much 
<laughs> so the answer is no. I can't explain more than that. Compound A is like insects. <laughs> no, it's not inverted. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Well, cool. I'm very interested in that. I don't know why you think I wouldn't be, but, uh. Well, there's just some things where you're like, where I'm like diving, like, okay, the sponge primer, I was like, people think this is cool. It's just going to be how I present it. Here it's like, I think this is cool, but it might not be cool. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, some things you're like talking about your hobby and people are like, this is boring <laughs> and you can see their faces glaze over <laughs> or eyes glaze over and you're like okay let's talk about something else um <laughs> but I can't do that now I don't know what your face looks like so. well um, I think that everyone inherently understands that they are if they listen to this podcast they're getting into the in-depths of our hobby hobby it did okay i thought about this it didn't start like this it was just like let's talk about cool animal facts and then i simultaneously realized that one there's some really weird things that are hard to explain without talking about the basics and two sometimes the basics are just weird (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah it's been interesting because i think in the beginning I wouldn't have talked about this. <laughs> That's well, true. I love it. Okay. Good. We only have one theme. Outside of that, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. No plants, I guess. <coughs> no fungi. Only animals. <laughs> That's pretty much our only rule. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you have? Today, I have a main story and then a cute fun little add-on story that's so short I think it has to be an add-on okay so we're gonna start out a little bit depressing but in a really interesting way at least I think it's interesting and then we're gonna end with a happy story oh you know I like the depressing stories so it's fine (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that this was a thing and I'm very curious to hear if you knew this was a thing So, Hmm. this all began because I came across this article, and the title is, Car, quote, splatometer tests reveal huge decline in number of insects. Oh. Hmm. And I read that and said to myself, what is a splatometer test? And apparently, there is actual research done they look at cars and license plates in some examples and they take this little rectangular grid kind of thing it's like a paper cutout kind of yeah the one i have a picture of is about six boxes and the scientists are holding it up to these license plates and then counting how many (laughs) splattered bugs are on the plate. So, for example, one of the surveys was in rural Denmark where every summer for 20 years, from 1997 to 2017, they recorded how many insects were 
hitting car windscreens in yeah. this one area. And they found an 80% decline oh. in abundance of the splats. And also found a parallel decline in the number of swallows and martins in the area which live on these insects. Oh. Another survey in Kent in the UK in, in last year, 2019, we're using this splatometer test, which is that grid I was talking about, mm-hmm. which revealed 50% fewer impacts than in 2004. And they had this theory that vintage cars up to 70 years old might kill more bugs because they're less aerodynamic. Okay. Yes. I mean, I was thinking, not thinking that, but I was like, (laughs) But they found the opposite, actually, that modern cars hit slightly more insects. Oh. Hmm. So... The way that they did this survey in Kent was analyzed nearly 700 car journeys reported by volunteers from June to August 2019. The bug splats on the registration plate were counted to calculate the number of impacts per kilometer. And in the survey, they noted that basically the most surprising thing was how rarely they actually found anything on the plate at all Hmm. and this is all indicative of this overall trend we're seeing internationally of an insect apocalypse yes yes (laughs) yeah which i'm sure you've heard about Mm -hmm. Hmm. i have i have some comments okay or wait do you have more um i was just gonna say you know they are talking about how anecdotally in denmark for example People were talking about 50 years ago they would go on holiday and the parents would have to like pull the car over and stop and like clean the windshield of bugs so they could continue driving. Mm -hmm. And that's just like super not a thing anymore. Yeah. And we're seeing these population collapses of insects in Germany, Puerto Rico, just like a lot of places and it's not good. But (laughs) I really did not think that this would be a way that they would measure it. Yeah, I've heard of this test. There's been some controversy, like, is this actually, like, well, maybe there's controversy around um, the anecdotes. Like, okay, like, everyone has a story. Like, it used to be like this. The 20-year study, though, from... Um, mm-hmm. 1970s, and that they controlled for um, old cars being different. I wonder, did they control for how fast people were driving? I don't know. I don't know if that would matter or not, but pairing it with the Swallow and Martin populations, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't read those papers, but I've just, I know there's like... Yeah, in the insect community, there's like, hmm, is this actually a good way to measure insect populations? But it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like they were thoughtful about it, thinking about how far people are driving and hopefully how fast people are driving and like the age of their car and stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at the actual paper, just like the little summary. 
The abundance of insects killed on a car windscreen was strongly positively correlated with the abundance of insects caught in sweep nets and on sticky plates in the same study areas. And at the same time was when insects were sampled using windscreens. Anyway, uh, the only other thing I was going to say from the paper is that insect abundance increased with time of day, temperature, and the date, but decreased with wind. Uh, so it does seem like they were looking at a bunch of different things. Oh, okay. That sounds pretty convincing. I yeah, I mean, so, you know. Hmm, interesting. I mean, sad, but like we already knew that insects are not doing so well. Yeah, I guess I personally didn't realize it was that serious. Like they're talking about like an 80% reduction over the past 20 years. Yeah. Which I didn't realize it was that bad. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so the insect apocalypse is here. It's coming. Fauna facts. Fauna facts. <laughs> Wee. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's my depressing thing. But I have a cute little feel-good story to wrap it all up. Mm-hmm. It's not related whatsoever. So this is over last summer. Mm-hmm. This story takes place in Utah. Okay. Wherein... There's a wildlife rehabilitation center, and last summer they received a call from a man who was very drunk, but he had found a baby goldfinch, a bird, struggling on the ground. Okay. And he wanted to save it, but he was very drunk, and he was too drunk to drive, and so do you know what he did? He, I don't know. I mean, it called the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, obviously, but. Yeah, but then Did he, he walk with it in his coat or something? That'd be cute. No, that oh. would be cute, but no. He called an Uber for the baby bird, and I am not kidding. The baby bird rode alone with the Uber driver. <laughs> <laughs> The drunk man did not come along, so this Uber driver just had a dehydrated baby bird in his car, and that was his passenger, (laughs) and uh, yeah, he was fine. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad. He was thin and dehydrated, but expected to make a full recovery, and they named him Petey. Oh, that is a nice story. And I just thought it was really cute. Yeah. Hmm. I did. This is kind of off topic, but I went when I'd go to um, when I lived in Nebraska, I'd go to the knitting shop and knit with the ladies there. And one of them was, I guess she inherited it from her dad, but she was like the area's raptor and hawk rehabilitator. And it was like but she, she didn't actually rehabilitate them. She transport, like, she make the connections of, like, transport. Like, oh, I have this, this hawk that's been hit. I need it to mm. go to this place to get rehabilitated. 
And so she'd be like, come to the knitting and be like, hey, you're traveling out of town? And they're like, yeah. And she's like, I have a hawk. Take it for me. (laughs) Can you take it for me? And it was like this hawk in a box. Oh, my gosh. Hawk in a box. Yeah. (laughs) So she'd just have all these raptors that she'd get to where they needed to go to get rehabilitated. Yeah, very interesting. So not quite the same, but... I love that, though. Maybe she should. I Maybe there's... I don't think there's Uber that will travel the distance between <laughs> cities in western Nebraska, but... Um. I mean, I think it's beautiful and more power to anybody who does that. Yeah, I think it was something she did not volunteer for, but it's like no one else was filling that role. Yeah. So she took it on. She inherited it. That's lovely. Yeah. I can't remember her name. But I wouldn't <laughs> say it on air anyway, but I wish yeah. I Yeah. Well, so. shout out to her. Yes. Good job. Well, that's... I don't have any other questions. All right. Thank you, our adoring fans, as always, for listening to Fauna Facts. If you want to see visuals... Uh, at some point in time, you can go to faunafacts.blogspot.com. We also have an email address if you don't want to reach out to us or don't know us personally, but I find that mildly unlikely. <laughs> at faunafactspodcast at gmail.com if you have any fun animal stories you want to tell. I think it would be really cool is if one day we had a vibrant enough community that we could have people like send in things. I don't know what I mean yes. by that yet, but like yeah, no, not I just articles, but maybe even like actual stories or random things they know. Yeah. So thank you and uh, goodbye. Bye.